You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, The Covenants Today, Philip Edwards will teach on what extent the previous covenants are still in force today and which, if any, of the covenant obligations do we still have to fulfil in order to enjoy the benefits. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to sign up for future modules, study past modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also partner with us by making a secure online donation. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome this evening to this number seven of our uh, study in covenants. And uh, we've had a nice, steady uh, study week by week, looking at all the different covenants. And we come to this one, which will be the last dealing with the actual covenants from scripture. We've got one more lesson on covenants where we will be looking at uh, the marriage covenant. It's, it's wonderful how God has, has given us marriage because it becomes a teaching aid to understanding what covenant is all about. Uh, and so we'll be looking at the, the Christian marriage and covenant in marriage next week. But this uh, is the one last one regarding biblical covenants. And it's just to clear up the point about how do these covenants affect us today? People can run off with the idea that this is, there's the past and that's the old, and then there's the new, and that's where we are and we can forget the old. Well, we're going to see that that doesn't quite fit into scripture. But before we do that, let us pray and uh, just uh, remember that we need God's uh, revelation and power in our lives to understand his word. Heavenly Father, we just commit ourselves again as a group to uh, study your word. Uh, We pray that those that are uh, online and listening, uh, they too receive the same Uh, blessing wherever they are in their homes or their bedrooms or their studies. Lord, that by your spirit, you will speak into their hearts. That's what we need, Lord. We need you to speak to us, to reveal truth to us, because we know the truth liberates us and sets us free. And that's what we want. We ask your blessing tonight on all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've traced the nature of covenants through history through 4,000 years of history. Last week, we came to the culmination of it, which was the new covenant that was given uh, to us through Jesus Christ, a covenant that the church entered into uh, with God. I always think it's the most exciting one because uh, that's where all the issues are dealt with by God, so we can really enter into this thing in a a meaningful way. And of course, it's applicable to us. I'm really quite pleased I'm living now and I wasn't living in the Old Testament. I wasn't living either uh, in Abraham's time or Moses' time. It would have been all right. We wouldn't have known anything, but I'm really glad I'm living uh, in this period of time. Now, we have to consider tonight to what extent the covenants are still in force, which, if any, of the old covenant promises are ours to receive today. All those promises that we can read about in the Old Testament, are they for us today or has something changed? Which, if any, of the Old Covenant obligations do we still have to fulfil in order 
to enjoy the benefits. If there's something that we're not doing, which we clearly should be doing, then we can't expect the blessing of God. And we could be crying out for God to do something, but if we're not fulfilling the obligation, then he's not duty bound. God is free to do whatever God wants to do, but he's not bound by covenant to do it. Whereas if we are doing what is right, we can have that expectation that God in his faithfulness will uphold his part of covenant. All of God's covenant from the beginning to the end, they have one purpose. And as we've studied each one, we've seen what it is. It's to bring man back into an intimate relationship with himself. We must remember that word intimate. It's not just a relationship. Covenant, we've looked at and said, it is the highest relationship there is. And that's what God requires. He had an intimate relationship uh, with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was severed and broken. And God, since that time, over 4,000 years, was bringing us back into that relationship with him. I gave you a key verse uh, several weeks ago. Now, it's this, that I will be their God, he said, and they will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of them. That's the heart of God. And we know that when this, this present life is over, that's what's going to happen. God is going to dwell in the midst of us. We will be his people. He will be our God, and we will live with him forever. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will never be separated ever from him again. There is this intimate relationship that God desires. Having said that, we must one day, one day we must realise that the most important thing in our life is our relationship with God the Father and his Son. Now, you don't get that when you're born again. You don't get it in five minutes because you have so many other thoughts and ideas and dreams and visions and relationships and plans in your own heart and mind. And of course, you have sat on the throne of your life and you've chosen what you want to do. But through the process of being a Christian and God being with us and walking with us, he will get us to a point where we realise the only thing that really matters in life is my relationship with God. Everything else is secondary. It doesn't mean you throw everything out of your life because God wants you still to enjoy all the other things in life that are permissible, but he has to be paramount. He has to be number one. He has to be supreme in our life. He's not very good at being number two or taking the second place. It's not because he's so uh, arrogant or proud or anything. He is God. And by nature, he must be the God of our life, the very center of our being. From this perspective, each of the covenants has this relational aspect at heart. But each lays a stress on particular aspects. If we think of those that God entered into covenant with, he said of Noah, it says he found favour in the sight of God and he was, he was a righteous man. He sought God. 
when we looked at that, of all the people in the world, only one man seemed to be wanting to see God, and that was him. We know that Abraham was a friend of God. We know that Moses was called also the friend of God. And then we come to David, who was a man after God's own heart. They all messed up. They all lived imperfect lives. But their hearts, you see, were passionate for God. We're going to see that that's what's so vital for us, to live in covenant with God. Our hearts have to be passionate for him. The, the sin issue in our life that we sometimes get so worked up about, God's dealt with that. God, God, has, God knows us. But the passion that we have for God is what God looks for. It's what he looked for in these men that he entered into covenants with. And that's what he's looking for from each one of us. Let's just have a quick review over what these uh, other covenants uh, emphasised. In the Abrahamic covenant, the emphasis was on grace and faith. The promise was given to Abraham by grace, and he received it by faith. That's all that covenant is about. God didn't take it any further than that. He looked for a man who, when he spoke, would respond in faith, and that was his man Abraham. And of course, God then, it says, because you responded to what I said in faith, I will consider you righteous in my sight. So faith will produce righteousness in our lives. You were made righteous, declared righteous, because you responded to God in faith in receiving his son. You weren't righteous, but God attributed it to you. From the, that moment, you have been a righteous person in the sight of God. You can't make yourself more righteous or less righteous. Now, you can do righteous things and unrighteous things, but in your standing before God, you have been declared righteous by God. So nothing can change his declaration over your life. That's good. I think that's good. It puts me in right standing with God, and it's by his grace that he did that. It, the second in the uh, Mosaic Covenant, the emphasis is on obedient to the covenant requirements. God's taking it a bit further now. He shows them through the law what he's like and how they are expected to live if they're going to live in a relationship with him. But that's true of all relationships. They've all got boundaries. And if you want to live in that relationship, you've got to understand the boundaries of that relationship and you don't abuse anything. You walk together and that's how you can remain in friendship with one another. So God gives the people his nation now through, through Moses. He gives them the law. The law sounds terrible, doesn't it? As though uh, maybe because we're all rebels at heart, or we were, uh, let's hope we're, we're thoroughly converted now. So the law always seems something that we butt up against. It's like, oh, the law, the law. But the law is a positive thing. It's a good thing. Uh, the, the law is, is just as I said, the boundaries that, that make love possible, that make life possible. Imagine a football match without any rules. I mean, it would just be chaos. Everything in life would just fall into chaos if we never had these loving boundaries around our life. God sets the terms, and Israel's duty is to be obedient 
to those terms. We call it keeping the covenant. They were expected to keep the covenant. And when you read it, it's not too extreme, is it? I mean, it's like to love people and to be faithful and not to steal or kill or covet or tell lies. It's not, it's not a great demand that he's making of us because these men and women with sinful natures, it was not only difficult, it was impossible to keep these rules. And then we move on to the Davidic covenant. The emphasis is on this this all-embracing, creation-wide sweep of the covenant under a messianic king. First, the covenant was to a man and his family, Abraham. Then it was to a nation, Israel. But under David, it became a covenant for the whole world. Jew and Gentile would be one. A new species of being, as it were, would come under the, the kingship. And, of course, it would be of the line of David. And, of course, we know that king was going to be King Jesus. And lastly, we looked at the new covenant. It deals with the dynamic of covenant relationship. What is involved in it? S several things had to be dealt with. The first thing that had to be dealt with in man was his sin problem. Because of his fallen nature, he, it didn't seem as though he could stop himself from sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning again. He was a sinner. It was almost like he had a disease called sin within him. And this disease then, it manifested sin all the time. Just like if we were sick of something, we would have symptoms of it that would come from our body all the time. So people had sin in them. And so they kept sinning because of this thing called sin. So God had to do something to remove this thing in us called sin. And he had to take it away from us and put it somewhere else. The second problem that man had was to be obedient, to, to follow these boundaries that God put in place, but not only to follow them, but have, have a motivation to follow them, to want to be obedient, to want to do it. Through the fourth and final covenant, this happened, that man's sin problem was dealt with and also his problem with disobedience was dealt with. And, and by receiving Christ, we discovered that, that he, he, he put something within us that made us want to be obedient, to follow the law as it was. His, his values came into us. His spirit came into us. And through knowing the values, having the law written on our hearts, the Spirit of Jesus himself coming into us, the Holy Spirit filling our lives, we could now want to keep the law. It was easier to keep the law. And then it became very easy to keep the law as we practiced and moved away from our sinful nature. Thus, the covenants represent an expanding revelation 
that reaches its climax in the new covenant, which is both the fulfillment and the expansion of the covenants that went before, and is also the means by which the covenant goal of a personal relationship between God and man is finally achieved. I've put some of these bold statements if you've got the notes, so you can just jump from one bold statement to the next. I'll just read that last line there. The covenant goal of a personal relationship between God and man is finally achieved. That's what it is, isn't it? That's what God wants. This personal relationship, this intimate relationship, it's all about this. Now, you can ask yourself, have I got this personal relationship? Not the, not the theory of it. You can know everything I'm saying in theory, of course, and it's not new. But have you got it? Is, is this relationship you have with Jesus Christ more important than any other relationship, any, anything else in life? Is it? Is it the most important thing to you? More important than your ministry, your passions, or what it is you do, or what you invest your time in? Is this one above everything else? You'll have to think that one through for yourself. Or is, he, is God easily removed from that central position? Because he has to be there. He has to be paramount in our lives. Are all the covenant promises ours today? The promises that we've been looking at and examining. There are, they are continuing promises. Um, because the promises that came out of the covenants, we're told that every covenant is an everlasting covenant. Every covenant that God entered into with man it was forever and forever and forever. It could never be broken. That was the nature of it. Now, so were all the promises that he gave in these other covenants, do they apply today? Let's have a look at some of these things. I believe that once the promise was made and God made it and God said it, it could not be violated it couldn't, God couldn't violate his promise, the things that he said that he would do for us. It says in Galatians 3, 15 and 17, just as one, uh, sorry, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Once the covenants were established, they were there forever. The covenant benefits could be forfeited. They could be forfeited by disobedience. So if you didn't follow the covenants and do what was expected, God didn't have to do his part. They could be violated. That, that if you broke them, God wasn't duty-bound to bless you. But... What we find is God remains faithful to the covenant that he has made. And the promises go on 
forever and forever. So what we see with Israel, there could have been a time when Israel were in covenant. They were trying their best to, to follow it and all the rules. Then they fell away. That wasn't the end of the covenant because if the nation then came back to God, they could be different people or whatever, the, the covenant would stand. The covenant was made between three. It was made between God, the person who made it, and whoever entered into it, whatever group of people. So as long as two parties were always in covenant, the third could come and go. And they did come and go. So once it was established, it was a, a three-part covenant. So all the covenants are everlasting. That's the first point I want to make. The second, the writer of Hebrews affirms the unchanging nature of God's promises with Abraham and links it with the present day situation. So what he does, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, he keeps linking the two together. He keeps referring back to it. Sometimes in the New Testament, uh, they state a prophecy that was given in the Old, which links the New to the Old all the time. I want to read you a passage from Hebrews chapter 6. It says this, and verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, notice it's in Hebrews. So what the writer to Hebrews is doing, he's linking whatever God did with Abraham in the old and saying, it applies today to you. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless and give you many descendants and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. He's saying, that's what I did with Abraham in the Old Testament. Now he links it to the New. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, to the heirs of what was promised. Can I suggest to you that we are the heirs of what was promised? He goes on to say, God did this so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us, the hope offered to us by Christ himself, we may, we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. He is linking what he said with Abraham in the Old Testament to us in the New Testament. We are sons of Abraham, sons of faith. What was promised to them is promised to us. The third is that we the Gentiles have entered into this covenant promise. We read from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me share some of this with you. It says this, we the Gentiles are described as being excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Do you remember this verse? We were excluded from the uh, citizenship of Israel. We were foreigners to the covenants, not the covenant, 
We were foreigners to all the covenants that, were, that God entered into with the Old Testament saints. The covenants and the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. That's how we were. We were aliens and foreigners to these covenant promises that God had made. But now it goes on to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near to what? Brought near into the covenants. And it goes on to say, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. We are the Israel of God. Now, that's both Jew and Gentile. Several places in Scripture, it refers to us as the Israel of God. We are the Israel of God. We've been brought in to that family. So all the promises that were made to the Old Testament saints, they follow through now and they include us. Thus, we inherit the covenant promises that were made to Abraham, to Moses, and to David. We need to know what these promises are and we need to know what our obligation is because it is a covenant relationship we have with God. It's not just he's our mate or he's a just loving father or something. It's far, far more than that. It's a covenant relationship we have with him. Galatians confirms this. It says this in Galatians 3 and 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, I belong to Christ. Therefore, I'm part of Abraham's seed. Therefore, I'm an heir of all the promises that were made to Abraham. That's clear. And in Acts 13 and 34, it says this, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. There we go. It says the same thing again. The promises that were made to David, I make them to you as well. Again, a New Testament connection. The fourth thing here is Jesus came and fulfilled the conditions of the covenant as a Jew. And all the promises came to him. So, Jesus comes and lives his life and he doesn't break one of the conditions of the covenant. He keeps them all. And so, as he keeps them all, he's entitled to all the promises of God. They are his. Romans 15, 8 and 9 adds to this. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So when Christ came, he fulfilled all of the law, everything that a Jew should have done and the way that he should have lived, Jesus lived in that way. And he did it to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Mm. What does that bit mean? I've written it out like this. Jesus kept the law perfectly, every part of it. So as a Jew, he received all the promises into his life. Because we are in Christ, the promises of the covenant now apply to us. 
Jesus lived faithfully. Now we are in him. All the promises are ours as well because Christ has fulfilled the conditions so that the promises can come to us. For it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for no matter how many promises, that's covenant promises, God has made, it doesn't matter how many he's made, they are yes in Christ. Every promise that God made in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled his part, we are in Jesus, so every promise that was given to them is yes to us. We can have every one of these promises. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I bless you with all the promises. Amen. We say, amen. So be it. I agree with you. Let's have these promises that Jesus came and lived so that we could enter into him and enjoy them as well. Fifthly, the covenant mercies of the old covenant are repeated often in the new covenant. And so we can hold up the old covenant and say, God said, if you do this, I'll do that. When we look into the New Testament, we see this repeated. If you do this, I promise to do this. The first thing that God promises his people is spiritual blessing. <laughs> what is spiritual blessing? What did it mean to a Hebrew to be blessed by God. Spiritual blessing is that God would always be with him. He would always be there all of the time. We're told in the New Testament, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You go, oh, that sounds a bit like what God said. If you walk in my ways, I will always be with you. I will weep, I'll stay with you. I will be with you forever. I will bless you. I will bring blessing into your life. And the blessing, it wasn't necessarily everything would go well, but you would be conscious of the presence of God. Mm, I'm going to expand this one in a minute. It's quite painful. Uh, I think some of you might know what's coming. Uh, see, the blessing of God is not that you're blessed with a, a really charmed life or everything goes well for you or it's comfortable. That's not the blessing of God. The blessing of God is that whatever comes to you, you know that God is there. That's the covenant promise of God. I will always be there. And when I read these stories of these Old Testament saints, it was murder. Terrible. And then when I read the New Testament saints, it was even worse sometimes. And so I end up with the conclusion, this Christian life is hard, difficult, painful, stressful, under pressure, fighting the enemy. Oh, it's enough, Phil. We don't want to hear this. I'm just saying what it's like. And of course, you all look long enough in the turf, excuse me for saying something like that, to have said, yeah, we know, Phil. We perhaps thought we were doing something wrong all the time. No, you weren't. 
God's presence with us is a promise of the covenant, his blessing upon us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. That's a covenant promise that's gone from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You walk in my ways and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be always there. In the bad times and the good times, I'll always be there. The secret of living with any adverse pressure in our life is the knowledge that God is there with his grace to help. That's what we've got to come to the realisation of. He's always there. That is the blessing of God, that he's always there. Just remind you of some of those saints of the Old Testament and some in the New and some of the stuff they had to put up with. But what they learned, they learned to walk close by God. They learned to fellowship with God. Just thinking of David. When it said David was a man after God's own heart, that doesn't mean he always did the right thing. We know full well that he didn't. But whenever God asked him to do something, it was, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He, he passionately wanted that fellowship. Remember when the prophet said, you've done this terrible thing. And he said, ah, don't take your spirit from me. The most important thing is that I know the blessing of God and the blessing of God is to know your spirit is with me all the time. David passionately wanted that. So the blessing of God is walking close to God never leaving his presence. You see, he has to be number one. He has to be, otherwise you, you won't continue to walk close with him. You'll be distracted. You'll walk with other things. To never leave his presence. He has to be the focus of your life all the time. You say, Philip, really? Yes. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you can't. But God has so fashioned us, made us, and created us as spiritual beings that we can. And it doesn't blast everything of life out of the water. We can live our lives, but he is always central in our lives. He is the passion of our life. And when he becomes that, we can live a spontaneous life. I have to be careful what I say now. Not having to pray all the time and ask God what we should we be doing. We know what to do because he is so central in our lives. We love him so much. We know what he wants us to do. His spirit within us tells us how we are to live our lives. And so we just walk knowing. We get up every morning knowing what the will of God is and walking in that will. We learn to rely on his grace. We come to the point where we say, I can't do anything anymore. See, man is so self-sufficient, so smart, so intelligent. He is so clever. But we've got to come to a point where we say, well, I might be super clever and intelligent and good at something, but I want to place that to one side and be dependent on God's grace in my life all the time, working in me. And we have to want to press on through. Press on all the time. Press on into God. So when the enemy is around and it's almost like, where is God in all of this? We keep pressing on with what we know 
until we connect again with our God. The blessing, the blessing is to know that God is with us all the time. <laughs> I'm thinking of these Old Testament saints there. It says, Enoch walked with God. See, he was close. He didn't, he didn't lag behind. He didn't run ahead. He walked with God. He walked every day. God was so delighted with him, he only lived about a third of the time that most people lived in those days. He seemed to disappear, didn't he? He just was taken up by God. I thought of Noah, a righteous man who found favour in the sight of God. He builds this ark over 120 years. He preaches to just about everyone and no one listens to him. What a, what a dire life. You know what I mean? Just building the ark would have been a problem in, in itself. But then preaching and no one responding, you know, and just, just herding his, his family of eight into that boat. But that's not the end. When all this is over and he lands, he lands and lives in a depopulated world. Now just think of that for one minute. Just think of waking up tomorrow and no one exists. There isn't anyone else. There's no animals either, they've all gone. No birds, no nothing, no nothing, no nothing. Dire? I mean, terrible. That's what God does when he finds favour, when he blesses his people. I mean, <laughs> you might have thought, oh, it would have been best not to be Noah if that were... See, miserable, just miserable. No wonder the bloke got drunk. You know, I mean, I know I'm being a bit flippant, but I mean, uh, he did. I mean, it was just like, how could he cope with that? It's just him and his missus, you know, and then his sons and the daughters-in-law, and they just left, didn't they? They went to the three corners of the world. Just him and his missus. Oh, oh and I won't say any more about that one. Okay, so... <laughs> It was Noah. Um, then I thought about Abraham. I mean, this great man of faith, you know. He loses his family. He loses his home. He lost his wife twice. He got her back again, but he lost her, remember? Gets her back. And at the very end, when he's done all this, he's, he's looking for a city that doesn't exist. Now, I don't know whether he realised it was a spiritual city. I think he thought he was being on a journey, walking to a city that God was going to take him to, and that city didn't exist. And when he gets to the ripe old age of whatever it was, God says, I want you to kill your son. Miserable. Miserable. Of course, he doesn't have to kill his son, but see, it's not, it's not fun, is it? But they knew the blessing of God, you see. Because they walked with God. <sighs> Joseph. What a miserable life Joseph had. I mean, chased, hounded, imprisoned, accused of things, lied about, deceived. You know, just all the time. Moses. His life didn't improve much, did it? He hated living in Egypt. And then when he did do something about it, he did it all wrong. Then he ends up living in the desert for 40 years. And then he ends up leading two million people who are mostly rebellious. He doesn't take them into the promised land. He takes them through a wilderness for 40 years where God is angry with them. What a deal. What a deal. Terrible, really. I mean, it's like... 
And these are the great, these are the great men and women of faith that we're talking about. People who were powerful in the sight of God. I mean, there was no one like Moses, was there? I mean, he was, he was the top man as far as the Jews were concerned. And I thought of, of Paul. Well, Paul tells you all his miseries, doesn't he? The whippings and the lashes and the beatings and in the sea and nearly drowning and all that. And in the end, he's crucified. And then we get Peter. Peter's the same. He's hounded all his life and ends up being crucified as well, that we're told. And John, that great apostle who loved Jesus, he's banished to an island, you know, just, and we don't know how long for, just, what's my point? Living in this life will never, never, never be easy or fun. It won't. That's just the reality of it. It's not. We, we get little breaks, and, and it's pleasant for a season, but then it's coming down the road to us, isn't it? We're living in an alien world. We're living where the devil is the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air. We're living in a territory that does not belong, in a sense, to the rulership of Jesus, yet it will one day, but not yet. So we're battling. We're battling through it all. But the important thing is we live close to Jesus all the time. That's the blessing of God. You know, sometimes I come under great pressure and soon as my mind turns to God, I start to feel a release almost immediately. Just... It doesn't take a moment to just break a little bit free of that, knowing his covenant promises, the blessing of God if I walk in relationship with him. We must learn to live in the sufficiency of God. When, when God said to, or Jesus, doesn't matter really, said, said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. We always link it to that, that one event, but really his whole life was terrible. I mean, it was, he loved to preach, but it was very difficult. But in all of his life, he was saying, my grace is sufficient for you, and it's sufficient for you. And sometimes you don't think it is, but it always will be. God has committed himself to bringing you to the end of the course and his grace will always be sufficient in your life. The mercy, the second mercy that we can look at, the first is, he said, I'll bless you in the Old Testament, he'll bless us in the New Testament. Jesus is our healer. Healing was part of the Old Covenant. Uh, now, old age takes its toll. If you're young, well, you don't appreciate that now, but when you get old, you'll appreciate that. Things don't work like they used to. We've got to die. Thank God for that. We've got to die. We've got to leave this planet sometimes. And, and 70 years, 80 years... 
you know, if it stretches to night, that's probably long enough. So, so getting old and, 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 you know, the body failing in itself, that's acceptable. So to put that to one side, but, but healing is part of the covenant promise of God. And that's just the end of it. Now, we don't see as much as we want to, and, and, and maybe you've got a million testimonies of where it hasn't worked. I don't care about the testimonies. I don't want to be rude to you, but I'm only caring about what God has said. Now, I have to take the reality of what happens in life and try and make sense from the Scriptures, but it's clear to me, Old and New Testament, if we walk in the covenant of God, we can expect God's healing power to be manifested. That's the end of it. There might be a hundred reasons why it's not happening and I might know some of them or I might not know them but the covenant is the covenant the covenant with Israel contained references to healing and to health and to being released from disease and he links it in the New Testament in Matthew 8 16 and 17 it says this when evening came many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took out our infirmities, and he carried our diseases. What he does in this passage, he links the covenant promises of the old and brings it into the new. And, and living with Jesus is living in the new covenant promises of God. The third area... Uh, of God's mercy is blessing for our families. Your children, your children will receive the blessing of God because of your faithfulness. You say, well, what about their faithfulness? The promise is that your children will be blessed because of your faithfulness. Mark 10 and 14 says this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. It's for them. Deuteronomy 28.4, uh, it compares this with, The fruit of your womb will be blessed. And Isaiah 59.21, My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth nor from the mouths of your children. Now again, then you might have testimonies. I can only share my testimony. I dared to have four sons and I watched all but one of them move away from God, not knowing if they would ever come back. But God is in covenant with me. And as I pray for these boys and I just keep them before God all the time, I see them coming back, coming back, coming back, and they're there. See, if I walk in the covenant, God has to, has to keep his part of the covenant, and he has to bless my children. I've got a break there. Have some tea and that. We'll come and have some more fun with this later. Okay. The fifth uh, mercy that I see repeated in the New and the Old Testament is that we will have victory over our enemy. We have promised victory over every scheme that the devil will set up to destroy us or pull us back or steal from us. It says this in Revelation 12, 
and 11. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is a promise of God. If we walk in the way that he's called us to, that is his promise. It is sort of corresponding one in Deuteronomy, which is the Old Covenant, 28 and 7. The Lord will grant that the enemies that rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction and flee from you in seven. So we, we see these covenant promises in the old and the way they were established and written and spoken in the new, but sometimes put in a new format or said differently to us, but they're definitely there. The, the fifth one in this little group is the one of material blessing. Um, let me read these verses to you from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to him so that in all things, at all times, having all they need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, so what he does now, he takes this promise, this is a promise, New Testament, and he links it to the old, to say the promise, the covenant promises are made in the new, in the old, I am now making them in the new. And the one in the old is here, scattered abroad is gifts to the poor, is righteousness endures forever. In other words, by helping the poor, it says in the old, we are lending to God and God will bless us accordingly because of what we have done. So in the Old Testament, material blessings under the law came through tithing. If we gave unto God what was God's, then God would bless us materially back. In the New Testament, it's still a covenant promise, but the conditions have changed. He said it is through generosity now that you are blessed. Not through tithing, but through being generous, God will be generous back to you. And the purpose of God's generosity to you is that you can be generous even more. So it's the same thing in the old and the new, it's covered through, but the, the, the way it's worked out, the conditions of it are slightly different. Therefore, another one of these great statements I've made, therefore we can affirm that all God's covenant promises remain in force for his covenant people. They are unchanging immutable declarations of God's will and purpose and disposition towards his covenant people. They express what God is disposed to do and would do for them on the performance of the conditions set out in the covenant. If we fulfill the conditions, we can depend on God being faithful to his promises." And we've looked at spiritual blessing, healing, the families and children, victory over the enemy, and material blessings. God covers all of these. If we read through that passage in Deuteronomy 28, where all the, the, the blessings are promised to us, we find them following through into the New Testament with the linking, often the linking verses, and the promises are all there under the New 
covenant. What covenant conditions apply today? What is it that we have to do today to receive the covenant blessings? We knew in the Old Testament they simply had to keep the law. By keeping the law, the blessings were theirs. Covenant promises, we've said this several times, they remain in force today because they are everlasting. The covenant can never cease. Can the same be said of the covenant conditions? Do we have to do what it says in the Old Testament to get the blessings living today? Well, I've already given you an example of where it's changed. In the Old Testament, you had to tithe and, and so forth and give a certain amount of money and the money would come back as a blessing. You were honouring God with that. In the New Testament, it's about generosity. It's about the heart, you see. It's always about the heart. But God knew in the Old Testament they couldn't get the right heart. So he, put them, he gave them the law and said, if you fulfil the law... Uh, then you'll find entry with me when you die into heaven, if you keep the law. In the New Testament, there is still the law, but because their hearts now have been changed, because Christ has come into it, he now expects not that we would just fulfil the law, something external, but we would fulfil the law of God from our heart. So he was always wanting generosity in Old and New Testament, but he couldn't get it in the Old, but he can get it in the New because Christ has entered into us and his heart is our heart. Now, clearly there are obligations that the covenant parties are required to fulfil to receive covenant benefits. Of course, it's a covenant. There are obligations in all covenants. The fundamental condition remains what they have always been. Two fundamental conditions remain, Old Testament and New. We must have faith. That's what came through Abraham, the idea of faith and grace. And we must be obedient, which came through Moses. So as New Testament covenant children of God, the conditions of faith and obedience still remain in essence, but things have changed because Christ has come. It says that Israel failed to enter into the covenant rest of God. The covenant rest is to live at peace with God because of unbelief, rebellion and disobedience. He talks about this in Hebrews, Hebrews three eighteen and 19. He says, to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He's talking about the children of Israel not going into the promised land, but they had to go off into the wilderness. And they didn't receive the blessing of the promised land because of their disobedience and their unbelief. So they never received the blessings at all. Unbelief and disobedience disqualify us from covenant blessing. Let me say that again. Unbelief and disobedience disqualify us from covenant blessing, just as they disqualified a whole generation of Israelites in the wilderness. Why so many Christians are not blessed is because they're not keeping the covenant. 
Now you're not allowed to say that. In the same way you're not allowed to say, listen, you haven't got enough faith for this. It's like, you mustn't say that. Well, I'm saying it. If you don't live by faith, and if you're not obedient to the word of God, you will not be blessed by God. Now, God can bless you. He can bless anyone he wants to. But listen, as we grow up in God, he's expecting faith and obedience from us. That's what covenant is all about. All the way through, it is that. Walking in obedience to our God, walking by faith. Oh, but there's a point to add here. Again, another one of my things that I must read to you. But covenant faith is not merely believing that a promise of God is for us to receive. It's not just that. Like a sort of blank check on which we could put our name. I've done this, you owe me that. Oh no. See, it was never about that really. It was about relationship. Now God knew in the Old Testament they struggled to come into relationship with God because of the sin and the disobedience in their heart. It is believing in Christ. It is faith in the covenant God behind the promise. See, it's about the relationship we have with Christ, the relationship we have with God that, that, that makes it all work. It isn't, I've done this, you've got to do that. That's not the way it is. It was more like that in the Old Testament. God didn't want that. He wanted people whose hearts were sold out on him. But, but so many couldn't. He made a way by which they could gain entry to him when they died, if they kept the law. But in the New Testament, it's about this relationship. And of course, we can have this relationship. It is believing in Christ. It is faith in the covenant God behind the promise, letting the outcome of our whole life and destiny go into the hands of God. Ooh. Letting go of the reins of your life and allowing your life to come into the hands of God. You see, if we do these sorts of things, if we love God, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and make him a priority and yield our lives over to him, there isn't anything that God won't do for you. It's relational. It's always been relational. And under Christ is definitely relational. That is why it is inseparable from radical obedience to Christ the Lord. In Matthew 10, 37 and 38, you know this one. Listen, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. End of subject. Now, he's not saying don't love your mum and dad. He's saying, listen, if we put these in order, I'm at the top. Jesus is more important than any other relationship that you have. Mothers is more important than the relationship that you have with your children. Now, I'm not saying don't dislike your children or do everything for them, but Jesus has to be number one. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, I die to myself 
and I live only for you. You are the most important thing. Matthew 6 and 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When God has spoken, we must find ourselves obedient to what he has asked us to do. We must. Otherwise, the covenant promises, they're not ours. We can't, we can't bring those promises to God. We can't do that because we're breaking the covenant. Jesus is not advocating we break family ties, but is demanding that where there is a clash of loyalty between the claims of the family and the covenant claims of discipleship, the latter takes preference every time. Daphne, my wife, I'm very sorry, but I love God loads more than you. Now, I love her passionately. There isn't anything she asked me to do that I wouldn't do for her. But, but, I love Jesus more than you. And we have to come to that realisation. Not just words, but a realisation. And if there was ever a clash, okay, she would have to take second place. She would have to. And that would be heartbreaking. But it's a reality. Now, some conditions of the Old Covenant are, however, declared to be for a temporary purpose and have been suspended by the New Covenant. They are obsolete. They have been suspended because Christ came and fulfilled some of these. So what is the first condition that was temporary? The law was put in charge of us for the purpose of bringing us to Christ, that we might be justified through faith. The law is good and perfect and holy. I have to be careful how I say that. But it's not there for us to keep. I didn't say that. It is there for us to keep. But that's not the priority. The law, as far as we're concerned, was to bring us to Christ. We had to come to the realisation, I can't keep the law, but I want to keep the law, so how can I do this? And the law led me to Christ. Because this Christ would come and he would live the life perfectly in my place. He would live it for me. And so by receiving Christ and entering into Christ, when God looks at me, he sees someone who has kept the law. And you say, but you didn't, Philip. No, Christ kept it for me. He came and perfectly kept the law for me. And now I am in Christ. When God looks at me, he sees Christ having kept the law in my place. And that's fully acceptable to God. That's it. You say, this is too good to be true. It is. It's the gospel. It's perfect. What the law, sorry, what the law could not do, Christ did for me 
The law couldn't make me keep the law. The law only told me where I was going wrong. It didn't help me to keep it. But Christ came and he kept the law and he kept it for me. He kept it for himself, but he kept it for me. He kept it for you. <sighs> the law now in your heart does not condemn you, but it directs you to Christ always. When you read, thou shalt not do something, that directs you to Christ. It isn't there to condemn you, it's there to lead you to Christ. I keep God's law because in my heart, I want to. I want to. Before, I didn't want to. But now Christ has entered into me with the law written on his heart. He has changed with my cooperation, the value system of my life. And where it was all self, it's now the fruit of the Spirit. It is now love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. They are the values of my life. The second condition that was temporary and was going to be removed by Christ was the sacrificial system of the Mosaic Covenant and the regulations for worship in the tabernacle. They've been rendered obsolete by the new covenant. We make no more sacrifices for our sins for one good reason that when Jesus came and was sacrificed, he was the eternal sacrifice. And through his, his sacrifice, we entered into an eternal covenant with him. So, the law has been abolished in so much that to get to God, we had to keep it, that's gone. Jesus kept the law for us. So now through faith in him, we are recognised as keeping the law. So that in, uh, I'm almost afraid to say it's abolished because it's not abolished. The law is eternal and must go on forever and is faithful and good and holy and pure. And that, but the, the idea of keeping it to save ourselves has gone because Christ kept it for us. And now the other thing that's gone is sacrifices. The, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness or the atonement of sin is gone because Christ's blood atoned for all of us. Covenant, covenant is for people who fear God. If you don't fear God, covenant's not for you. It says in Psalm 24 and 14, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them known to his covenant. It's the fear of the Lord where God makes his covenant known to us. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the desire to keep his covenant, to keep his commandments. I want to. 
I never want to sin again. I never want to break the law of God. Not because I think somehow uh, that would put me in a good place with God. I don't want to do it because Christ now lives on the inside of me and my heart doesn't want to do it. Christ didn't want to do it and I don't want to do it. I'm not trying not to want to do it. I don't want to do it because Christ lives inside of me and he doesn't want to do it. Isn't that reassuring for all of us? The reason you don't want to sin is because Christ lives inside your heart. The other thing is that covenant people want to walk in the ways of God. We want to lay hands on the sick and see people healed. We want to cast demons out of people. We want to do the things that Jesus did. We want to walk in love and forgiveness and graciousness and kindness and generosity. We want to do that. We want to walk in his footsteps. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. We might not always get there, but at least we want it because Christ in us wants it. Don't beat yourself up when you fail or fall or, or stumble or trip. Don't do that. It doesn't help you. And God isn't, isn't phased by that at all. Pick yourself up and get on. If you've ever fallen over in the street, you didn't lie there, did you? Well, if you couldn't get up, you would have. But you jumped up because you wanted to get on. You just get up quick and, and move on. The fear of the Lord is to listen to his voice. We listen to what God is saying. The fear of the Lord is to cling to him. I need you, God. I am desperate. We are desperate for God. We are spiritually bankrupt. We need fresh doses of God every day, every day, clinging to him. And the fear of the Lord is to love him and to serve him. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Where I find myself in a bind sometimes because some Christians are very faithful people. Sometimes you can find yourself taking on more than you should be doing. Okay. Now what God will say is, is you've got to give some of this stuff up. But you're faithful, so you don't want to. And you don't know what to give up. So it hurts you to give up things. But you know unless you give them up, you won't be doing what you should be doing properly. And so you've got to stop doing things because you've taken too much on board. And God says, no. He says, I'm the infinite God. You're not an infinite person. You can only do so much. Walk in that. And sometimes we just have to step back from things that we do. For such people, the promises of God are an open book. All the promises are yours. What God requires of us in this covenant relationship is that we love God. We love him. Don't worry about keeping the law. Never think, never think about keeping it. Think about one thing, loving God with all your heart, with everything. And, and stop to think, what does loving God mean? 
It isn't an emotional feeling. It can be. If you're a sort of sensitive, feely sort of a person, you get a lot more of that. I understand that. If you're not that way, you don't get very sensitive and feely about it. I understand that too. So it's about being obedient. It's about listening. It's about wanting to be with him. It's about clinging to him. One of the courses we'll do, not the next one, the one after, it's about practicing the presence of God. I found it so helpful. And we have to practice it, we have to put it into our lives. And it, it is a practice at first, but you end up all day long in this living relationship with God. Exciting stuff. God bless you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come back next week for our final lesson in the Covenants Part 2 module, Marriage as Covenant. Also, if you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so by heading over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk and also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry a living legacy.